You're listening to the New York Encounter podcast. The 2023 New York Encounter just wrapped up, and we'd like to thank the over 400 volunteers who came to New York to help make it possible. We also want to thank everyone who made a financial contribution to the New York Encounter this year. And if you haven't, it's not too late. You can always head to newyorkencounter.org donate and contribute today. Good evening, and welcome to Encounter 2021. I raise my eyes toward the mountains. From whence shall come my help? This is the cry of someone waiting, of someone full of expectancy. During this last year, which one of us, feeling helpless and afraid, did not ask this question? at least for one moment. We are starting the journey of this encounter in Jerusalem, 
a place that reminds us that we are radically needy, that we are all waiting, a place where, at a certain point in history, a man mysteriously claimed to be the true face of all reality. We all need to see this face now, in this dramatic period of our history. And with this need, we begin our days together. Archbishop Pizzaballa, the Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem, who has been living for 30 years in the Holy Land, will now share with us his experience of 2020. Thank you to be with us. Can you tell us something about how 2020 has been experienced in the Holy Land? How the pandemic hit the region last year and what about the situation now? Uh, like all the world, we had uh, different waves. The pandemic was, uh, we, during the pandemic, we, have, we had ups and downs. You have also to take in consideration that we have different countries, Israel, Palestine, Jordan, Cyprus, the four countries of our diocese with different uh, dynamics, of course, uh, but it was terrible for all. Uh, since a year, we are we have a uh, first of all, from the health point of view, a lot of infected people in Israel, Palestine, Jordan, and Cyprus. With the, uh, at least in Israel, three lockdowns. We are in the midst of the third lockdown, uh, and also a lot of uh, economical consequences, especially in Palestine and the Bethlehem area, where. Thousands of people are not working since a year. It is true that the state of Israel organized very well the vaccination campaign, and I think is one of the first countries, not the first country uh, for organization, also for number or, of uh, vaccines uh, affected, uh, effectuated. Uh, but um, to, come to uh, identify the vaccination with the hope is an exaggeration. Uh, hope is something more uh, deep and larger than vaccination. Vaccination is um, uh, solid, um, solid and necessary uh, campaign we need in order to solve a problem. But hope, to put hope only in this aspect has to say that our life is only here. How did the pandemic challenge the Christian community, especially in the West Bank? West Bank situation was very difficult. As I said, in Bethlehem area, we had a, a, a lot of economical consequences. The, in fact, the Christians are not that many, uh, but we didn't have many casualties. In any case, the economical consequences are enormous. And also from the religious point of view, it, it is the first time ever that we couldn't celebrate Easter, not not Christmas, not First Communion, not, not any uh, pastoral activity. We had intifadas, we had wars, but even, even with the worst intifada, churches were open and we could have a normal life, Christian normal life. But with this situation, everything is paralyzed and this was the first time and this also created some, a lot of confusion in our people. We are all confused and also our priests, uh, it is difficult now to reorganize, even because we don't know how, when, what. Uh, we are in a way suspended. Also because your Christian community is used to, to have a lot of people around, international people. No? It was also for Easter and for Christmas without pilgrims. Yes, it was a terrible experience because um, economical consequences, people cannot work and so on. And also, uh, a feeling of solitude uh, because just we, f we felt to be very lonely, very uh, uh, just as very few people. On the other side, it was also uh, nice because we could have the experience to celebrate in intimacy, in family. Usually, when there are thousands of people around us, everything is official uh, and the business also enters too much in our 
in our activities, while now there is no business, there are no pilgrims, just us, to go to the essential of the feast, uh, and less of the external aspects. You also became uh, sick with COVID-19 uh, last December, before Christmas. How did you personally experience it? The disease is, is always something that you don't look for, you don't expect. And here it was, uh, from the health point of view, I was in the mid, not very serious, not also that light. And this, the pain and the suffering was uh, something um, uh, challenging. On the other side, I had time for myself to pray, to think as much as the disease <laughs> permitted me to think. Uh, but I also I experienced a lot of solidarity. A lot of people wrote and uh, sent messages. And this also helped me to understand the connections and the kind of relations with other people. And how are you now? Now I'm better, much better. Thank you for listening to the New York Encounter podcast. The New York Encounter is a three-day cultural event that takes place every President's Day weekend in Manhattan. Every year, we bring together speakers, put on exhibits, and host musical shows, offering opportunities for education, dialogue, and friendship. Following St. Paul's suggestion to test everything and retain what is good, the Encounter aims to discover, affirm, and offer to everyone truly human expressions of the desire for truth, beauty, and justice. To learn more about the New York Encounter, visit newyorkencounter.org. Okay, and in the theme of the New York, New York Encounter, we have written that we do not want to waste the sorrow we have suffered and the lessons we have learned as if they had been in vain. How did 2020 change you? What is the nature of this change? What was if there was new and precious so that you not, do not want to lose it? First of all, I have to say that everyone says that nothing will be as it was before. I'm not that sure. It depends from us. Uh, we can go back to the previous life. Of course, there are changes in the infrastructure, in the health system, maybe. But from the personal point of view, human point of view, we can learn the lesson, but we also um, decide not to learn the lesson. So uh, we have not to give uh, for granted that everything will be as before. We can go to the previous life, or we can have something new. Uh, what lesson? Uh, from my point of view, first of all, the, the first consideration I can do is that in a world where we want to put aside suffering, disease, and uh, to identify life with uh, beauty and happiness, this pandemic reminded us in a powerful way, also in a violent way, that suffering and disease are part of the life, are not outside our life. So, and we have to consider this and to reflect on this first. Second, community. Uh, we couldn't have gatherings, community life and so on, but we feel, we felt that we need community, especially from, for us Christians. We cannot express our faith fully if not in community. The Eucharist, the sacraments are not just an individual experience, are community experiences. So you need community, and we need to think how to rebuild our communities. And then hope. Uh, I understood that we, are, um, we tend to identify optimism with hope, are not the same thing. Optimism is to think that everything will be okay. Hope is to give a meaning, a purpose to what we are living. Uh, I also had, we had a good experience in this period, despite the pandemic, despite the terrible economical situation, we were a lot of poor, and uh, taking in consideration that we couldn't have a lot of support from abroad because the situation also abroad is not that easy for many communities. Churches are closed, so they cannot gather also the offerings for Holy Land and so on. I experienced, uh, I saw as bishop, a lot of internal solidarity. Uh, not just within the communities, for instance, the communities of Galilee supporting communities in the uh, Bethlehem area, or uh, different communities in Jordan, a man with a poor part of uh, 
Jordan, especially in South and North. This internal solidarity was um, not totally new, but in this proportion was new and is a positive element. Another uh, aspect um, was during the, in the summer, unfortunately, we saw the disaster of Lebanon. We made collections, all the churches, all the dioceses for Lebanon, and the answer was enthusiastic. I mean, not just us, also the others. And another aspect of the theme is that the circumstances brought to the surface a deeper true core of, of our humanity, expectancy. What are we waiting for? Does the Christian event change the way we wait? Usually, this expectancy, this uh, attitude of waiting is very important for the Christian faith. Usually, uh, we are waiting for uh, immediately answers, solutions. We want solutions for our children, for our fathers, for the work, uh, for the virus. Uh, to solve, and we want, uh, we want the Messiah to solve all these situations. This was also the experience of Jesus, when people wanted, they wanted him to, to make for them uh, miracles, and to solve their problems, uh, to uh, free them from their disease, from their viruses. While Jesus uh, arrived, came uh, to uh, save us from the deep disease, the sin. Uh, so, uh, all this just to say that we cannot expect from God, from our faith relations, to solve our problems. The faith is to live with serenity, uh, with confidence, with trust in God, our life as it is, even in the sufferings and pain. So our expectancy is not, to so is not for problems to be solved, but for a... Uh, 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 company, someone with us that help you to face these situations. And what does it mean in your daily life as a, as a bishop, uh, as a man? <laughs> First of all, uh, this presence in you that helps you to, not to solve the problem but to face them, uh, you, can, uh, uh, you can perceive in the prayer. First of all, sacraments. In the attitude of listening, listening Word of God, listening to people, circumstances, capability to open the eyes and try to understand what God is saying in all the different circumstances, in every world, something. This attitude of expectancy uh, make you also to be watchful and open. Uh, this is what it means for me. So I try to understand because I also need to give answers to my people that are waiting. They're also ex uh, expecting me to give them a word, but I need also to listen uh, to the pain, to the suffering, to the joys of my communities in order to then re-elaborate and to bring back. And have you a special uh, piece of gospel of, of Old Testament that you now, love more. Oh, this changed from day to day. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> now is at the end of the Gospel, toward, uh, towards the end of the Gospel of John, when uh, uh, the meeting and the dialogue between Jesus and uh, Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And uh, uh, Jesus said, it, yeah, you will go uh, where you don't want to go. And, uh, but he's also saying, that wherever you go, I will be with you. You are listening to the New York Encounter podcast. The Encounter is entirely volunteer-run and donation-funded. And as you probably realize, it takes a lot of money every year to put it on. What that means is that if you want the Encounter to continue its work, we need your help. Head on over to newyorkencounter.org donate and consider making a monthly donation to sustain the Encounter in its work. Thank you for your support. Since 30 years, you live in a land full of wounds, between nations, between religions, between Christians. You said more than one time in this last month that this is not a moment of great gestures. This is the moment of sowing and waiting for the fruits. Now, as I said, we are all waiting for big gestures, uh, agreement of peace that will bring and change all the situations. I keep saying, don't wait for this. This, I don't know if it will come. I hope yes, of course. 
but it, uh, it will be not, not tomorrow, not after tomorrow. So it doesn't mean that since this, is, this big peace is not coming, we cannot live in peace, we cannot live at all. We cannot just uh, live waiting for something to happen. We have to live the present as it is now, in this situation. How, how and where? First of all, the families. Uh, to live fully the uh, family life. Communities, in this situation where the individualism is uh, increasing every, everywhere, here also, where also the communities are wounded by a lot of uh, situations, external, internal, where the conflict also sometimes entering, we need to uh, rebuild the fabric of our communities. And also the relations between the communities. Uh, we can have a wonderful relation between Christian family and uh, Muslim family or Jewish, uh, Jewish families. We can have also wonderful relations between this group and other group. But between communities here is very difficult um, to have. If I say to my Christian community or the parish of Bethlehem, we want to meet the, I don't know, the community of Muslims or Jews there, they will be uh, scared. So we need to rebuild at this level, first of all, the trust. Because this is what are, we are missing now, is that the trust one to another. As person, family, and community. And the other thing will come. We have groups, uh, wonderful groups, Christian, Muslim, Jews, that meet with a person dedicated to the encounter, relations in a land where everything is hatred and division. But we have to bring this from the group to the territory, to the reality, to the ground. So we have to now to meet, let the group to meet the, with the community, to build the trust little by little. We are at the be, uh, beginning. Uh, there is a lot of uh, things to do. And also to take in consideration that our diocese is very diverse. To do this in Israel, in Palestine, in Jordan is not the same. And can you give me an example in your life here in the Holy Land? During my 30 years, 30 years of presence here, I had the occasion to meet a lot of people, of course. Uh, I remember very well uh, the meetings I had with my classmates. I was, studied, I was studying at Hebrew University. My classmates were all Jews, religious Jews. Uh, and, this, uh, and this helped me a lot. Their questions, their serene, friendly questions about my faith, about my experience of faith, not just what I believe, but how you believe and why you believe in this. There are questions of friends and uh, uh, these, uh, these questions change also my life because uh, their questions were, were never my questions. And one thing is when we have to explain the faith, other thing when we have to share your faith to someone who has a different faith. This is more uh, committing, uh, more demanding also for yourself their question becomes your question, so li listen, <laughs> why the resurrection of Jesus? Why Jesus? How this uh, is so significant in your life and so on. Uh, so um, there are a lot of experience, similar experience everywhere here in Ireland, but they are all personal experiences. Should become something more, more extended, the fabric of the communities. What are you looking forward to in the post-pandemic world? Will life ever be the same? Will the Middle East still be the same? How is it possible to be realistic and at the same time to remain positive, open and full of wonder? Here, especially here in Holy Land, in all Middle East, uh, you cannot not beat, uh, not to be realistic. Even if you don't want to be realistic, the reality will <laughs> enter in your life with uh, violence and, uh, and powerfully. So there is no alternative here. You have to be realistic. At the same time, the hope and the wonder is not coming from outside, it's coming from your heart. If you preserve in your heart the desire to change, the desire to know, uh, and uh, if you uh, keep in your heart also um, the wonderful relations that bring you energy, this also will give you the strength to keep hoping against any hope. And this is also the way to fight the violence that you see here, but also in a lot of our countries. Yes, there are a lot of violence, violence is increasing, not just political violence, also normal violence, unfortunately, because when violence entered, become a language, 
you use this language in all the different aspects uh, and context of your life. But once again, the uh, solution against the violence is, is from the heart. You have to conquer the heart. You have to keep in your heart the, the stubborn desire for peace and for encounter. You are listening to the New York Encounter podcast. The Encounter is entirely volunteer-run and donation-funded. And as you probably realize, it takes a lot of money every year to put it on. What that means is that if you want The Encounter to continue its work, we need your help. Head on over to newyorkencounter.org donate and consider making a monthly donation to sustain The Encounter in its work. Thank you for your support. Welcome back. We want to apologize to any viewers on the Spanish YouTube ch uh, channel on feed. Uh, we believe we fixed that now, so you can check that out. Uh, we would like to thank Nahila and Anand Zrik and their group for their beautiful performance of Psalm 121. And uh, a big thank you to Alessandra Buzzetti and Archbishop Pizzaballa. And now we will share a moment of beauty. Beethoven's Piano Sonata, number 26, opus 81A. And performing for us will be Molly Markoski who joins us for the second year in a row to open the encounter, and I hope it's just many more. And with her on stage will be Chris Vath. Chris is also a very talented musician and a composer. And Chris will be sharing some stories and commentary with us to help us get deeper into the music. And without further ado, I present Molly and Chris. Thank you, John, and good evening. The year is 1809. Beethoven is living in Vienna. One year earlier, his friend and patron and student, Archduke Rudolf, who was determined to keep him in Vienna, established an income for the rest of Beethoven's life. So what was happening in Vienna in 1809? Napoleon's army, the French army, was invading Vienna. The aristocrats were fleeing, and among those aristocrats was Beethoven's friend, Rudolf. What does Beethoven decide to do? Of course, write a piano sonata describing the situation. This says, I was thinking about this, this says something about the man, that the music is a natural extension of him and the world he lives. And so it's natural that he would write a piece. The piece is entitled Les Adieux, Farewell, the farewell. And it's his only sonata to have a program, to have a story. And the story is the reference to Rudolph's forced evacuation. The first movement is titled The Farewell. The second movement, The Absence. And obviously, it's, it's more melancholy and sad. And the third movement is The Return or The Reunion. And it's a, a feast of a, a party for the return of, of the people who have left fled the city. In the opening of the sonata, you hear the uncertainty, the sadness of his friend's departure, written in the score, and this is very interesting. Beethoven wrote Lebewohl over the first three notes of music. Lebewohl means farewell in German. Let's hear those three notes. These three notes become the motif for the whole first movement. Try to find them as you listen, listen for them. It's fascinating to see how a composer will take such a small little motif and make something great out of it. Think of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, da, 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 which is used all throughout. But all of a sudden, the mood changes. Bags are being packed, carriages are off and running because everybody's fleeing this city. Let's hear a little excitement in the second theme. At the end of the first movement, the wistfulness of the opening returns, as if to say, this really is farewell. We were consumed with getting out of the city quickly, but now the sad reality of our friend's departure is with us. 
In the second movement, we feel the mood of loss very strongly. Let's listen to a little example at the beginning. Remember, the second movement is called the absence, so that the whole movement is, is sad. The, uh, don't, and don't get confused. It goes directly into the third movement without any pause, without any uh, pause. But you'll hear the difference in the exuberance of the third movement, which is, again, entitled The Return. just before the close of this last movement and the close of the whole piece, there's a little moment of quiet of reflection, perhaps gratitude, which makes you think, oh, I've, I've made this journey from the, the sadness of seeing the, them leaving and then coming back. So you're more grateful for the, the, um, the return in the end. Molly was telling me that she had an, an interesting thought that playing this piece here tonight was a little bit uh, in, in miniature of what the pandemic has been for us because something's been taken away from us. And she, she told me that during this whole year, she's not played for uh, any audience. Not that there's a big audience tonight, but there's a handful of people there and it's her first time playing in a year. So she's grateful for that experience and it's, it's something new. So last thing I wanna say, remember, let's imagine that you're Beethoven. You're almost 40 years old, you're going deaf, you're, you're almost completely deaf. Beethoven could never find a woman who loved him, so he showers his affection on his nephews, on his friends. He has a lot of friends, one of them being the, the Archduke Rudolf. But what does his music have to do all of this? Beethoven is considered one of the first composers to, whose music is considered personal and autobiographical. He's very honest with his music. He's going to put everything out there and, and let let life judge it. I knew a psychiatrist once who thought Beethoven, listening to Beethoven was a great remedy for depression. Why? Because Beethoven, there's a struggle in Beethoven. He's got to fight for things. He fights against the, the musical structures and conventions of his time. He fights his deafness. He fights his inability to have a fulfilled relationship with a woman. And this struggle requires him giving of himself a sacrifice. It's clear he's going after big desires, not small desires. Everything in Beethoven is big. It's dramatic because he's throwing him, his whole self into it. So he, with his big desires, can pull you out of your small desires. I think that's what the psychiatrist was, was uh, seeing. So let's see when we listen if we can be open we can let our hearts be open in order to know something, to burst through what we already know, the oldness that we live. And let's see if Beethoven can communicate to us with music something of who he is, which helps communicate something of who we are. And with that, I turn the stage over to Molly Morkoski.
Almost forgot to do that. Well, we want to thank Molly Murkowski and Chris Vath. Beautiful, Molly. Very beautiful. It was so wonderful to hear live music. Well, folks, I, we interrupt this encounter for an important message. It really is an important message. His Holiness Pope Francis sends cordial greetings to all participating in this year's New York encounter sponsored by Communion and Liberation. He trusts that these days of reflection and dialogue will foster a shared passion to create a community of belonging and solidarity. Fratelli Tutti, paragraph 36. And in this way, promote an authentic culture of encounter capable of respecting differences, advancing reconciliation and mutual understanding, and inspiring efforts to build a more just and equitable future for all our brothers and sisters in the human family. With these sentiments, His Holiness offers prayerful good wishes for the event and invokes upon those taking part God's blessings of wisdom, joy, and peace. And it's signed Cardinal Pietro Parolin, the Secretary of State. Thank you for listening to the New York Encounter podcast. We hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please consider posting a review on whatever platform you listen on. Those reviews really help the podcast reach more listeners. If you share the podcast on social media, please tag the New York Encounter. On Twitter, we're at NY Encounter.